are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, September 13th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. What happens when you turn on the tap and no water comes out? In some parts of the state, you pay tens of thousands of dollars to drill a new well. You might hit the jackpot, or you might not. The California Report looks into the desperately high stakes of today's groundwater game. After regional news and weather, KVMR's Paul Emery talks to water guy Steve Baker about how prolonged heat spells could affect how we eat. And Mark Cuniberti has a new Money Matters. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Unlike the rest of the country, gas prices here in California have been going back up. That's after they dropped from record highs earlier this summer. With more, here's KQED's Ted Goldberg. AAA says the average cost of a gallon of gasoline in California is close to $5.43. That's 16 cents more than a week ago. Gas price analysts say that's because the West Coast is dealing with a tight supply. Several refineries have taken some units offline for maintenance or have had equipment problems. For example, Contra Costa County regulators say Chevron's Richmond refinery has had nine flaring incidents in the last two weeks. Those chemical releases are due to both malfunctions and maintenance issues. The State Energy Commission says prices should start to drop again in the coming week. For the California Report, I'm Ted Goldberg. A federal lawsuit has been filed accusing San Francisco police of violating a rape victim's civil rights. That's after the police used DNA information from her sexual assault medical exam to connect her to an unrelated burglary five years later. Prosecutors dismissed charges against the woman early this year after former District Attorney Chesa Boudin raised alarm about the misuse of a victim's DNA. A bill that would require DNA samples from rape medical exams to only be used to ID purposes perpetrators is awaiting the governor's signature. Support for the California report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. All right, for the rest of the show, we're going to turn to water. Most Californians are feeling the effects of the drought, but in big areas of the state where people rely on groundwater, the pain of this drought is especially severe. Wells are going dry, and there's intense competition to find more water that's underground. I wanted to see what that looked like, so I went to the San Joaquin Valley. I'm standing by a mobile drilling rig in a rural area about 30 miles north of Fresno. I can see and feel the drill pipe rotating as it burrows deeper and deeper into the earth in search of untapped reservoirs of groundwater. If it's found, the water will be used by nearby homeowners whose first well has gone dry. And like many people in this part of California who aren't hooked up to municipal water systems, no well water means no water, period. Daniel Reese is the drilling supervisor here. This area here, we won't, realistically, we will not hit water until about 380, 400. 380, 400 feet? Yes, that's a fortunate side. 
Unfortunate, Reese says, because in the past, drilling to such depths to find groundwater would have been rare. These existing wells from these homes 15, 25 years ago were only drilled down to about 200, 300 max. Why drill deeper to hit water? Well, drought, of course. Both the one we're in and past ones. Less rain means it's harder for aquifers to get recharged. So there's a kind of race in the San Joaquin Valley now between property owners and farmers to drill deeper and tap the water that remains. In a sense, a lot of straws are going into the ground to get to that water. And some people win and some people lose. The deepest straw gets the water. That's absolutely how it works. That's Tom Collishaw of Visalia-based Self-Help Enterprises. It's a nonprofit that provides emergency water services and low-interest loans for private well construction in the San Joaquin Valley. Collishaw says one huge challenge is the soaring cost of drilling, as demand increases and plentiful groundwater is more difficult to find. And well drilling right now, just a domestic well on a single-family household uh, lot, is costing $60,000 where three years ago, maybe we were paying $25,000. So what do you do if you can't afford a drill or you need to wait until a drilling crew arrives? That's when many put in giant tanks filled with trucked-in water. So we're installing a temporary 2,500-gallon water tank. Uh, I think we'll get them temporary water until they can come up with a permanent solution for water, either be a new well or connection to some sort of city infrastructure, which I don't think is out here, so... That's water tank installation contractor Brandon Jones. He says his company installs as many as five tanks a day. When I meet him, he and his crew are at a home east of Isalia. The homeowner, Michelle, who doesn't want her last name used, says she hasn't had water since June when her well went dry. Uh, what's it like when a well goes dry? It was, you turn on the faucet and nothing came out. Michelle is happy the tank is finally here, so she and her family can bathe, flush toilets, and cook, but... This is a band-aid until we're able to drill a new well and hopefully find water. And when does that work start, do you hope, or do you think? Well, when we get people to call us back and actually come give us an estimate, we'll know. Oh, really? Because it's just so hard to get through, there's right? So, there are so many people in the same situation that everyone is extremely busy. But another problem, even if a property owner or community drills a successful well, the water that's found could be contaminated. That's been a years-long issue in mostly poor and Latino communities in the valley, like Ducor, population just over 600. There's groundwater here, but the water's too dangerous to consume because of decades of pesticide runoff from agriculture. I talk about that with resident Eliseo Aldaco as he waters his yard. It's water that's safe for the plants, but not to drink. No, can't drink it. You can maybe even smell it. So what do you do for drinking water? Just, um... Buy bottled water. And that's just a constant thing? I mean, uh, that's Yeah, it. I mean, every, every, every week, yeah. You got to buy the water for the week. So what's ahead for the San Joaquin Valley and the quantity and quality of its groundwater? Well, cleanup efforts of tainted aquifers are slow or non-existent. The state is also implementing a massive groundwater management plan, but that will take years to see results. Meanwhile, the search for increasingly scarce groundwater continues. Back at his drilling site, Daniel Reese says he has a long line of desperate customers who are waiting. I'm averaging right now five to six months out. That's actually a pretty decent number. We're, we're pushing it. We're pushing it. 
but Reese says he cautions his clients that just because he drills, it doesn't mean the water will actually be found, no matter how deep he goes. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, September 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Turning to your local regional news, at 1 p.m. this afternoon, a vegetation fire started near Dutch Flat, near the westbound interstate of I-80 at the off-ramp. Within about 30 minutes, the Dutch fire had grown to 15 acres with mandatory evacuations on Frost Hill Road and Murray Ranch Road. Interstate 80 was closed in both directions due to the fire, and Union Pacific Railroad traffic was shut down. A power outage affected 1,785 customers along I-80 from Applegate to Colfax. The city of Colfax opened the Colfax Sierra Vista Community Center as an evacuation shelter for people displaced by the Dutch fire. Forward progress stopped just after 5.30, and crews are currently mopping up. As of 6 p.m. this evening, eastbound I-80 is open, but westbound I-80 continues to be closed at the junction of Highway 20 and eastbound at Highway 174 in Colfax, with no estimated time of opening available as crews wash retardant off the freeway. Turning to the Mosquito Fire in Placer and El Dorado counties, the fire made a run this afternoon, threatening Wharton's Market in Forest Hill and provoking additional mandatory evacuation orders. A spot fire developed below Todd Valley and eventually grew to more than 300 acres. A mandatory evacuation was ordered for the Stumpy Meadows area and at 3.30 for Zone 11A. That's Yankee Jim's Road to American River to Kings Hill Road to Big Dipper Road to Iowa Hill Road south to Yankee Jim's Road. The Mosquito Fire has now been mapped at 50,330 acres. KVMR will keep you up to date as news develops. Turning now to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality from purpleair.com. Blue skies return to our area this morning, but keep in mind that wildfire smoke depends on wind direction and can shift quickly, which means AQI can change very suddenly. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, it'll be mostly clear with a low around 52 Today's air quality was much improved, with AQI readings this afternoon averaging around 15 or satisfactory. Wednesday will be sunny with a high in the mid-70s. Wednesday night, mostly clear with a low around 51 degrees. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, hazy between 10 and midnight with areas of smoke and a low around 38 degrees. Wednesday in the greater Tahoe area will be sunny with a high near 67. There'll be a nighttime low of 37 degrees. Expect widespread haze from 4 p.m. to midnight with areas of smoke before 9 p.m. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 58 degrees. The air quality readings this afternoon were in the 20s and 30s, which is considered satisfactory. Wednesday in Sacramento, Woodland, and the surrounding valley, It'll be sunny with a high of 79 degrees and a low of 57 degrees. You are listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
Water and food are essential to life. The epic heat wave that weighed so heavily on us last week put the water supply at top of mind. But KVMR's water analyst, Steve Baker, has another concern. The deadly ripple effect prolonged high temperatures can have on our harvest and food supply. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by clear water and filtration on rough and ready highway Grass Valley. Steve, uh, wow, what a nasty heat wave we've had the last 10 days. Uh, Tell us the stats of this situation in California. There's no September on record in the West that's seen a heat wave like this one. In the past week, we've hit, oh, thousand heat records were broken okay quite a few and it wasn't just in california it was in nevada utah colorado arizona washington even north dakota and montana to give you an idea bighorn montana which is usually cool in september it hit 108 degrees denver hit 99 salt lake city hit 107 sacramento we probably, most of us have heard already 116 degrees and then in death valley they earned their name it hit nearly 125 degrees over there. So I'm I'm really refreshed with at this moment in time because it's nice and cool. In fact, we had a little drizzle earlier, and that's especially nice. These night nighttime temperatures now they're down to between the 50 58 and somewhere in the 60s. So it's it's very nice now, very different than it was a week ago. Well, Steve, I know that uh, for myself, thinking about this last week especially, um, that got me focused on losing my water supply. I'm most concerned with the food that our farmers in the West have been growing. What we just experienced uh, in temperatures, well, that type of experience is projected for up to two months every summer by the end of the century. So this is just, this is, is not going away. This is going to be, become more uh, consistent as we go through time. And I really wonder how our farming practices are going to adapt to these different situations. It's, it's, it can be really dangerous. I mean, just look at it from the farm worker perspective, okay? They're looking at heat stroke and, and, and some very serious heat-related conditions that are created by this, this heat. How do they work out there? under these conditions, and uh, they, simply, they simply will not be able to, which has a logistical effect on, on harvesting food and, and maintaining our food. Uh, secondly, this heat destroys a lot of crops. The crops can't handle that much. It's not just the lack of water, but it's also the lack of these farm workers nursing these, the crops so that it will endure these high temperatures. Raisins would be a perfect example. We have a lot of raisin, uh, raisins that are grown here and, and harvested. Uh, it, here's how it works. No farm workers, there's no harvest of raisins, period. Timing is important. You need your manpower. Now, other problems develop from the heat wave, too. If you're talking about tomatoes, for example, the concerns are around sticking with adequate irrigation in the fields. You don't just over-irrigate when we finally have a cool, cool, some cool temperatures. You have to provide the, the tomatoes with the water it needs in, at the moment, every, every moment of its growth. And that uh, is sometimes hard to do when you don't have enough water. So um, another issue, which I wasn't aware of until I found this out, was uh, you can lose the flower blooms by the young plants because of the lack of wind during these heat spells. And that, uh, 
that's a problem. It keeps the plants uh, cool, and without without that uh, going on, uh, again, is problematic for the plant. Plants that stay too hot too long, they stop photosynthesizing, but they still transpire water. So the plant's trying to cool itself down, but, you know, the systems start breaking down. It's not able to, and then it dies. So prolonged heat during days and weeks and high nighttime temperatures, that can really raise havoc when it comes to harvest time. Steve, what you're describing is over and above the fallowing of ag land because of the lack of water this year. What is that looking like right now? As far as the fallowing goes? Yes. Well, first of all, the water allocations from the federal and state water projects, they've dropped to zero for many of the growers. The state farmers have fallowed more than 530,000 acres. That's a lot of land. A lot of job losses as a result, of course, and, and income that was never really generated. Then you think about herds, herds that uh, are usually grazing in various spots. They're being reduced in size because there just isn't enough food out there because there's not enough water out there to, to grow the food. Rice took a big hit this year. Usually California contributes about one-fifth of the U.S.'s rice supply. And I'm talking about the, the rice that's used for sushi and paella. Um, this year, Calusa County, as one example, they took the biggest hit, 73.4% hit. They, they lost a lot. Glen County's not far behind, then there's Southern Yolo. But you know what? Yuba and Butte counties, they did great. You know why? They have a strong water right. They got the water because they're a priority, and that's why they've done so well. So all in all, this is a very tough year for agriculture. That makes it a tough year for us. It does. We, we eat that stuff. Steve, thank you so much. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Some economic analysts are warning that the inflation picture is not going to get any prettier anytime soon. Mark Cuniberti is one of them. Mark also shares his observations about electric vehicles, mortgages, and the future of Bitcoin in today's Money Matters. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuniberti. Although late last week saw some serious green in equity prices, confusing action in the markets continues to plague investors. Inflation has backed off a tad in only a few areas, gasoline being one of them. For the most part, however, the bite of ever-increasing prices is chomping at the checkbooks of consumers worldwide. Protests against higher prices are popping up in a handful of countries. The raising of interest rates by central banks worldwide to combat inflation is likely what is driving the markets. In an interesting observation, the U.S. government seems to be doing battle with the Federal Reserve's war against inflation, while the Federal Reserve is trying to sop up excess cash in the system. By raising rates and instigating programs to remove money from the banking system, Washington dumped about another $4 trillion onto consumers within the last two months through multiple spending programs. Ironically, one of those programs was called the Inflation Reduction Act. You can't make this stuff up. Because of this massive government spending, both past and present, various analysts are warning of more pain to come. 
This analyst agrees that inflation is far from tame. At some point, all this inflation and interest rate chatter, however, that we hear on the news will cease to affect the markets as investors yawn louder and louder with each news flash. Historically, market participants become numb to the same bad news over and over again. That's when markets sometimes stop their reactionary descent and healing may occur as buyers finally step forward. I remind you listeners, however, for stocks to rise, the news doesn't necessarily have to be good. The news just has to stop being bad. We may not be there yet, but getting closer with each passing day. In world news, Queen Elizabeth II passed away September 8th. I don't think that will affect markets much, but British investors may slow down a tad as the 10-day mourning process begins. More news on the electric vehicle market as startup companies both here and abroad stretch their pocketbooks into the red, trying to catch EV leader Tesla. Investors often ask me if they should buy one or more of these EV electric vehicle startups in hopes of catching a Tesla-like price explosion. My response is why buy a startup who's trying to catch a dominant leader in a difficult market as the automobile is. In my opinion, not all EV newbies will survive. I recall the DeLorean Motor Company startup, which began in 1975 and ended seven years later. It's very difficult to start an auto company, let alone an electric vehicle one, not to mention exorbitantly costly. Therefore, my vote against the EV electric vehicle auto group remains with the industry leader, and that's Tesla. The housing market continues its slow-motion train wreck with mortgage rates rising to levels not seen since 2008. Add in the damage to consumer pocketbooks from the worst inflation in four decades, and home affordability is fast eroding. Although not cratering as of yet, prices may soon start down on homes as the dominoes fall back on each other. We are already seeing failures of some mortgage companies reminiscent of 2008. And some mortgage lenders are beginning to offer low or no down payment loans, questionable adjustable rate mortgages, and lending to buyers whose income and credit status may be subpar. Oh boy, here we go again. Don't they ever learn? Meanwhile, in the cybercoin universe, Bitcoin looked as if it was on its way to recovery after its recent fall into the $17,000 range a few months back. In my previous newscast on Bitcoin and cybercoin, I was of the opinion it was nowhere near done on the downside. With its recent retracement back under $20,000 again, I am still of the opinion that Bitcoin and coins like it are vapor, run by folks of unknown repute who are likely much smarter at computers than the majority of vapor coin buyers, or should I say cyber coin buyers, all this with little oversight by governmental agencies, which I particularly think is a potentially lethal combination. As we progress through September, I remind investors and listeners that this particular month holds the record for the poorest performance in the stock market. Not that it will be again, but it has been. So far, however, stock Armageddon hasn't occurred. Hope springs eternal, and I'm watching the market so you don't have to. Remember, no one can forecast market movements at any time, and this is not a solicitation to buy or sell any securities or stocks whatsoever, and is not meant as investment advice, and is not the opinion of this media outlet, its staff members or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license, OL34249. My name is Mark Cunaberti, thanking you for listening.
That's our newscast. KVMR Community Radio gets support from SPD Markets, family operated in Nevada County since 1959, offering conventional, organic, and local products, produce, also specialty food. Nevada City location carrying hardware, fix-it, and camping needs, including small appliances. SPDMarket.com and Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, providing wealth management and retirement planning strategies. Also, second opinions on current investment portfolios. On Spring Street, Nevada City. Information online at rickkalb.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday evening at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.